You Ain't Got the Answers Prime. It's episode 21 of For Our Edification. Thanks for joining For Our Edification. I'm Eddie Francis. You can find For Our Edification on your favorite podcast platform. Just make sure you check it out. You download it. You rate it. You tell me something about it today. And if you want to check out past episodes, go to eddiefrancis.com slash For Our Edification. Well, it was the um, announcement heard around most of the sports world. In December of 2022, Deion Sanders announced that he would be leaving Jackson State University as the head football coach to take over the head coaching job at the University of Colorado. And then it happened. A big social media debate ensued. And of course, there were also debates and commentary on sports shows about this. And what was a lot of this about? A lot of this was about how much Dion did for HBCUs and how effective he was. And nobody had ever heard of an HBCU until Dion became coach. Yeah, all right. Okay. Some people even brought into it the relevance of HBCUs. Well, let me tell you something. I am a PR director and a marketing director for an HBCU, my third HBCU, as a matter of fact. So I looked at this with great interest and I asked myself, self, who would be an interesting person to have this conversation with on the For Our Edification podcast? And the first name that popped up, Eddie Brown. Eddie Brown is a colleague of mine in PR. He actually runs his own firm, Brown PR. But even more importantly, Eddie is an alum of Jackson State University. So he is an avid Jackson State Tigers football fan. But here's the other thing. He worked at Jackson State as a PR specialist. And so I thought it would be really interesting to get his thoughts about this stuff. And man, as you can only imagine, this is a thoughtful brother, a very thoughtful, really smart brother. So you can only imagine how cool of a conversation he brought to For Our Edification. The views and opinions expressed on For Our Edification do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the hosts, guests, or any entities with which we are affiliated. So joining me on the podcast is Eddie Brown. Uh, this, this is my man. This is my man. Eddie is the CEO and principal of Brown PR. So yeah, you got one Eddie who does PR. You got another Eddie who does PR. You cannot possibly go wrong. Can't go wrong. You can't go Eddie wrong. Eddie and Eddie. You know, Louisiana, <laughs> Mississippi in the house. You it can't go wrong. <laughs> it was meant to be, man. So here's and we the didn't thing. even coordinate. We didn't even coordinate the hoodies, man. Come no, on. we didn't. This we didn't. Great. That's the funny Good. thing. We didn't coordinate. <laughs> Although I do have to say this, since this is my podcast, one of the things I have got to say is that Dillard is my employer, but my views do not represent my employer on this podcast. <laughs> True marketer, a true marketer. <laughs> disclaimer, disclaimer, <laughs> disclaimer. Um, man, you know what? So, so I had to have you on to talk about this because you are a J State alum. Um, you worked for Jackson State, and of course, so I know that I know that you would just. I know that you just had as much of a reaction as anybody else, probably from when they even hired Dion, and then there is the departure. But what really struck me is that when I called you to say, hey, Eddie, would you be on my podcast to talk about this? Your reaction did not go towards football first. You actually made this comment to me that was interesting. Do you remember what you told me when uh, when I asked you to be on the podcast? I do. Uh, I said, yeah, man, I love being part of this conversation. 
I love football. I like football. Uh, I follow, uh, you know, NFL, uh, college football, mostly SWAC football. Um, but for me, I love, I'd love to have a conversation, uh, about Coach Prime and, and, and JSU and, and, and the, uh, the recent conversation from a non football standpoint. And why is that? Uh, well, so there, there's a lot of background to that. Um, so before I came to New Orleans, uh, actually, you're one of the first people that I met when I came to New Orleans, when I was uh, director of PR for an advertising agency here in the area. And um, I was recruited from Jackson State University. I was literally working on uh, the public relations uh, team. There were a team of five of us uh, for university communications at Jackson State. And so we at that point uh, between 2004 or uh, really 2003, uh, up until about 2008, we really started to um, see Jackson State in a different way. Uh, we needed, we were forced to see Jackson State in a different way. Now, let me go back. We were forced to force a different narrative of Jackson State so that uh, the the local community, the state, uh, the nation could see the university in a different way. Mm-hmm. And we had made a lot of strides um, in those years uh, between 03 and definitely 08, 2010 even. Uh, under the administration of President Ronald Mason, who yeah. came to us from Tulane uh, University here in New Orleans. And, and I had a chance to work with Ron Mason at Southern University when he was president of the Southern University system. And I was doing that's PR right. for Suno. So that's when you and I met, actually. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's when we and met. And so, yeah, so we go way, we go way back, right? <laughs> and, uh, but it, during his tenure, he, uh, very astute man, Dug into the archives of the university, we see, uh, I think it's Dr. John A. Peoples, his vision for the university and all of these things that had been uh, these visions that had been set in stone, really uh, recorded, documented. He would dig into the archives and he really challenged us to say, let's see if we can see Jackson State another way. At this time, he shepherded the university uh, at the time. Many we had a couple of uh, presidents to shepherd the university through the Ayers case, this landmark historic um uh, lawsuit uh, of uh, HBCUs against uh, the institutions of higher learning, which allocates uh, re- uh, public uh, resources for public universities in Mississippi. And the Ayers settlement says that we've been historically underfunded. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of the in the Ayers settlement, one of the uh, things was we've got to make sure that we get uh, a certain percentage of none of other. Right. So imagine a black school looking for others. And that was anybody who's not African-American or black. And so one of the things that uh, the president at the time, and I'm, I'm coming back to your statement, sure. one of the, the things that Dr. Mason said at that time to uh, to our team was, uh, to the administration, was we've got to figure out how to get other students here, but it can't be through football, basketball, and band culture, because that doesn't resonate uh, so quickly. It's it's something that can be consumed, but it's not something that resonates um uh, so deeply with people who are not a part of the culture. Our culture is African-Americans or black people. And so we, uh, and then also the uh, these millions of dollars were tied up until I think that percentage was 9%. We had to achieve 9% of other um, uh, enrollees into the institution. And so instead of waiting on that money that was due us historically, uh, we began, the administration began to say, we've got to find other ways to make money. Uh, increasingly, uh, the uh, students that were coming to the university were not as dependent on financial aid. A lot of these students were paying out of pocket. A lot of these students were non-traditional and paying out of pocket. 
Uh, they were being reimbursed by jobs. And so we needed extra funds outside of the state of Mississippi and federal government. And so one of the things that the university really started to do was to take advantage of this research intensive designated institution, this Carnegie uh, mm -hmm. designation. And we started going after research grants and we started going after other funding. But to go after that funding, we had to show that we were more than just a football, uh, sports and athletic school, a, a school for sports and athletes and band. Right. And so our our public relations team really started to dig for narratives that show that, you know, our university throughout the South, throughout the nation, uh, these cities, underfunded K through 12 schools throughout the city, our teachers, our, we, our students are teachers and principals and superintendents of these places all over the country. And so the U.S. World News reports, the rankings started coming out, uh, were coming out, and we just decided, you know what, let's mine these rankings. It doesn't matter where we fall. Let's mine these rankings to figure out where we stand one amongst other HBCUs across the nation, um, but also against other schools in Mississippi and other schools throughout the South. And what we found out is that Jackson State, like Dillard and uh, Xavier, we conferred the most undergrad degrees in this. And, and uh, at the time, it was education and business. Um, a lot of our, we had the very first accredited mass communications department in the state of Mississippi uh, in the early wow. 90s with the radio and TV station. So our team, worked really hard to change that narrative from this is a great school to party at, have a great time, uh, to hear a great band, to go and uh, relive the glory days of Pop Carson uh, football back in the late 80s and 90s. And it's a great school um, uh, uh, that will uh, allow you something more than just leaving the outskirts of Mississippi, the rural parts of Mississippi to come into the city. We also confer degrees and when we confer those degrees, you will be prepared to lead in any bastions of society uh, across this world. And um, and so one of the challenges that I have had, um, and I do appreciate the fervor and the excitement. I appreciate the winning record uh, that Devin Sanders or Coach Prime uh, has brought to the university. One of the things that I have been challenged with is um, is seeing what I feel is a little bit of a uh, a little kind of sliding back, a little aggressive yeah. uh, regression, I'd say, in terms of the university now is on a national stage because national media, uh, they see stories <laughs> and we're we you know, our university has been here since 1877. We've been doing this for 100, you know, something years when students were paying for tuition with bags of onions and collard greens and, yeah. and potatoes and um working off their uh, tuition. And so, yeah, just a little concerned about the, the national conversation uh, being so mired in um, the personality and the charisma of Coach Barr. That to me was so interesting that you responded in that way. And it's, it's the ultimate, no, we've been doing something a lot different to be on a national stage. And it really does. It really does show that this whole conversation about Deion Sanders is very much limited to football. And that was my reaction as I saw so many people come out and say, well, I've never heard of Jackson State until I heard of Deion Sanders. And I'm sitting there going, well, just because you haven't heard of Jackson State doesn't mean nobody else has heard of it. And right. it doesn't mean Jackson State isn't on the national stage either. That's right. That's you as a football fan. Right. And, for, and, and let me let me just say this. I, I love football too. And, and, and no offense to all my friends in Texas, but Texas beat the passion 
for football out of me. They really did because <laughs> this whole there's nothing else but God and football, football attitude. Yeah. People, it just drove me nuts. Yeah. And 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 I'm going somewhere with this. You know, as, as you probably know, after I left Southern University in New Orleans, I worked at Paul Quinn College. And one of the mm-hmm, things that Paul right. Quinn is known for is having gotten rid of their football team because, quite frankly, not only were they losing on the field, but the, the college was losing financially. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so it was it was a smart move. It was a very smart move to get rid mm-hmm. of the football team. But you have no idea how many people told me how much of a quality institution can Paul Quinn be if y'all got rid of your football team? Football. That is the mm-hmm. Texas response mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. it. And so I believe it. Yeah. I, you know, and I was just like, no. So what that did, though, is by the time I started working at Dillard, it really did force me to look at HBCUs and to get kind of feisty about redirecting the national conversation to the academic culture of HBCUs. This is this is the thing. Yes, there's so many Dion's out there who mm-hmm. they were able to get. Dion got his fame from Florida State. He got his fortune in the NFL. But Dion wouldn't have been in Florida State had it not been for an HBCU. That's right. right. Had it not, had it not right. been for FAMU. That's right. FAMU set him up to go to That's Florida right. State. And I graduated from Loyola, New Orleans. I wouldn't have been at Loyola had it not been for my father who went to Xavier. And had it not been for my mother's father who went to Xavier and my grandmother who went to Xavier. Yes. They they set it up so that I could have that full scholarship opportunity to Loyola. So and then and then the thing about that frustrates also frustrates frustrates me about this Dion conversation is people are ignoring the fact, well, no, people outside of HBCU culture, because I have a whole commentary about how HBCU culture forms like a hip-hop cycle. <laughs> but people outside of HBCU that. culture, they really, really don't get that had it not been for Jackson State, Deion still might be looking for a college job. That's right. He's still right. be coaching high school ball. Let's be clear. He was That's still right. be coaching high school ball. And he did, in order to coach high school ball, he needed to get a college degree and he got it from Talladega. That's right. <laughs> so and so once again, the the so we come full circle to the entire premises of why we even have HBCUs. Right. We've, te- we've, cr- we've created institutions to give people who did not have, to give individuals who did not, who otherwise would not have access to the preparation that they needed so that they can fulfill uh, uh, other uh, uh, dreams that they may have, may have had or goals that they may, may have had or uh, access to education, access to job preparation, job readiness. At, at the time, most of our institutions were created. Um, I think the only jobs were uh, that were open to, uh, at the time, Negroes were mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. preachers. Uh, they wanted to be trained. We needed trained preachers and, yeah. teachers. and teachers. And then I yeah. think I think Xavier, uh, not Xavier, but Dillard was one of the first uh, to have a maybe a medical school or uh, yeah. uh, and so, but you have these different pockets of HBCUs who uh, sought something beyond preaching and teaching, and so we appreciate that. But again, with with uh, Coach uh, Prime with Deion Sanders needing even an HBCU to give him that first crack to kind of demonstrate uh, what we already knew uh, that he had this, you know, he had talent, but he needed to apply that talent. He needed to have demonstrated experience or a proven experience 
And that's what HBCUs do. And you're right. The academic culture is um, it's academic. Uh, uh, it's academics on another level. Um, for me, uh, if I might talk about my academic experience at Jackson State. Yeah, please um, do, man. So imagine being, and, and I'm sure, and you, and you were too. It doesn't matter if you went to an HBCU, but uh, but especially especially at an HBCU, uh, many of these schools have started doing reconstruction, uh, post Civil War reconstruction, Jim Crow, <laughs> right? And very so, so wait, but here's the interesting mm -hmm. thing about this, and there's there's a part of Dillard's history that I really love to talk about because mm -hmm. the precursor to Dillard was uh, Straight University and New Orleans Straight. University. And here you have these institutions creating a black middle class. That's right. Only a few years after the Emancipation Proclamation on mass, right? Uh-huh. What disrupted that? You just mentioned the Jim Crow, but yeah, Jim go Crow. ahead. Go That's ahead. right. Yeah. And, and you know what? There's um and I'll shout out to John Kennedy. I think he works there. He's, I think oh, works yeah, 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 yeah. John, 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 John is a Dillard on his way to Howard, actually. That's right. He's yeah. a PhD. I'm in the uh uh the grad program over at UNO. He and he was in my uh, one of my courses. And we, man, we talked it up about his uh, his research, his dissertation on Dillard. I'm excited about. It. Yeah, and I had a chance to read through his, uh, you know, a couple of first, the second draft maybe. But uh, these institutions were started during a very crucial time in this nation's history and a very crucial time in African American uh, history here in this nation. And one of the things that you'll find throughout. HBCU history, which is HBCU culture, you know, culture yeah. is contemporary and changes, but HBCU culture is very much uh, solidified. It's anchored in HBCU history, which is American history. Okay, and so, so, hold on, hold on. Okay, so for for the HBCU marketers out there, we are all struggling with I'm this conversation. We're all struggling Write that with down. this, Eddie. We're struggling with this. People are telling us, nah, y'all need to stop doing that history stuff. Ain't nobody want to hear that. So say that last thing that you said again, please. <laughs> so, say that last so thing you said H again. HBCU culture, uh, culture is contemporary, right? Culture shifts. Uh, but, but for HBCU culture, uh, much of that is rooted and rooted and anchored in HBCU history that students still love to hear and talk about. They surely do. They surely All do. Right. Keep it going, man. <laughs> well, so um, so HBCU history is there and providing um, very a call and response, which is something in, in African-American culture, Black culture, that call and response. There's call and response to what's going on in society. And then that response is literally being taught in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And so when I was at Jackson State, I had teachers who were in their very late 60s, early 70s, who said, you know what? I'm not retiring. I still got juice in me. And Bunny Gardner's, Dr. Hilliard Lackey, these individuals who said, yeah, I remember when we were throwing rocks at the National Guard when they came on our campus in 1970 and shot two students four days after Kent State. But and, and a, there's a these barrage of bullets in this dorm right there. I remember when I was standing there and the National Guard, a battalion of National Guard soldiers came here and shot at us. And so in H, uh, on HBCU campuses, you always have these individuals who are functioning as uh, intellect, uh, academic or these uh, local griots. Right. Yeah. Who are who are reminding us. This is where we come from. This is what's going on now. And hey, put your head on straight. This is where you're going. Yeah. Because I've been yeah. in the job force. I'm in the job force. 
Uh, I'm an adjunct now. I, I've retired, but I've come back to adjunct. I've gone out there. I've traveled. I've seen the world. But I'm letting you know that you're you're in the middle of uh, present. Uh, I'm sorry, past and, and future. And um, and so having that in a classroom is uh, is so fulfilling. It's challenging. These instructors are saying, I don't want you to get this because I need so many of my students to pass so that I can be employed here next year. I need you to get this because our uh, livelihood, our posterity as a people, uh, it, it relies, uh, it's in you. It, you know, we're relying on you so that we can have a future. Yeah, <laughs> future culture, yeah. uh, our, our history, the university's history can um, perpetuate itself. And so there's always so much more at stake when you're in an HBCU classroom and you can feel it. You can feel mm -hmm. the passion. From your political science instructor or a biology a biology teacher who says, "Yeah, let me tell you something." My my professor told me when I was an undergrad at this um, at this school that I went to when I was the only black person there, right? Because yeah, not every yeah. HBCU professor went to an HBCU themselves, and they'll say things. Not, not every what? HBCU president did. That's right. That's but right. They, but I, they are fully invested, and that's why fully invested. HBCUs. Absolutely, yeah. and and it's, and it's 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 those varied experiences that make HBCUs. It's such a reflection of African-American black culture. You know, yeah. we can come from all different types of places and bring our experiences and our challenges and the thing, our slights, things that have mm -hmm. hurt us to say, okay, guys, I've been out there. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You're going <laughs> to need this when you go. Right. Right. And, right. Uh, and, and we don't have to code it. We don't, we can just really talk the way uncles and aunts and moms and grandparents talk to us. Yeah. But I had a professor to say to us in biology, he said, you know, uh, it's very important. Uh, I, I was a math thumb student and we're joking. I said, you know, why do I need to know about uh, mRNA and this DNA stuff? I, I'm, I'm going to be putting people on TV. I need to learn to write for the media. He says, I'll tell you why. He says, so that if you ever see a press release coming from some weird science group saying that craniology or that uh, blacks were descended from uh apes or, you know, these race-based stereotypes make their way and they look like scientific literature, you need to have some kind of foundation to challenge that. And so he began to share with us how a professor of his uh, in his undergrad uh, would use, uh, I think it's called craniology or study of like different skulls. Mm -hmm, and there mm -hmm. was this race-based science that said that, that, that says that black people are an inferior race because of the measurements of their skulls. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that's when it hit me. I said, wow, every class, every class is important. Uh, and every class had some type of um, almost like a calibration. It's just yeah. to remind me who I who I am, uh, you know, who I needed to be, who I could be, where I was going. Yeah. And and this is why for me the theme of this particular episode is is bigger than Dion. HBCUs right. are bigger than Dion. By the That's way, right. you're listening to For Our Edification, and I'm Eddie Francis, and joining me is Eddie Brown. He is the principal and CEO of Eddie Brown PR. He is a proud alum of Jackson State University and also used to work at Jackson State um, in communications. And so I am proud to say that I got my master's degree from Tennessee State in uh, strategic leadership. Um, and I chose Tennessee State over a PWI that actually was at somewhat of a lower price point. Okay. And I just interesting. Really, you know, it, it it did wonders for me. And one of the things that I researched, or what I did research, is I researched narcissism and leadership. Huh. Deion Sanders is a narcissist, and and the and the problem I have, and the reason I researched narcissism is I saw what it does to other people. Yeah. It does wonders for the narcissist because they are determined to get any and everything that they want. 
All these people say, well, Dion went to Jackson State and he did so much for Jackson State. He did so much for HBCUs. But first oh, of all, man. He, maybe HBCU football to some degree. Okay. Uh-huh. He didn't save Jackson State. Jackson State wasn't about to close. That's right. Jackson State just wasn't on ESPN. And that doesn't mean that Jackson State was failing in some way because that stadium gets packed every fall. That's right. Win <laughs> or lose. Fall. Win or lose. Win or lose. <laughs> Win or lose. It we will be not there. Matter. It doesn't matter. Y'all are there. Y'all are there. <laughs> but the problem is, and this is honestly, I forgot, I could do a whole podcast episode about this part. I really need people within the HBCU culture, though, to get away from the hero narrative. Mm. I need us to get away from this thought that we need a hero to save us and mm-hmm. to put us on a national stage. Mm-hmm. The reason is, is that when you have somebody like Dion, who, who, in my opinion, is a narcissist, they take full advantage of that and they they create this whole narrative around themselves and they start the whole if it weren't for me, you would. That's not. right. If That's it right. weren't for me, you would not. And he really instigated some of this attitude among people outside of the HBCU cipher who were thinking that he somehow saved. That's right. And the problem is, is that and there's a whole commentary behind fixed mindset organizations and all that other stuff. But if you have a fixed mindset, if you're someone who is sitting there constantly thinking we can't get any better unless something or somebody happens then you're going to have somebody like Dion who's going to take advantage. If you, have a growth, right. if you have a growth mindset which says, which says, oh, it doesn't matter what problem we have, we will find a way to solve it. Hmm. And we and the community with the community of the heroes, and that's what growth mindset usually says. And so that this, this thing that I really think happens is that I think if people pay close attention, and I know a lot of people inside of the HBCU community have paid attention to this. Yes. But if you continue down this road of needing a hero, you're gonna you're gonna get Dion, who's gonna th- this whole beautiful narrative that you just gave us, Eddie. Mm-hmm. Dion is gonna always overshadow that narrative. That's right. People That's right. Like him will always overshadow that narrative. And here's what scares me. There's a whole th- so in my research, one of the things that I, I, I cited in my thesis is that is that um, is that narcissism is be- is believed to actually be an uh, an, an, an epidemic. Okay, huh. and so what we have right now, and I'm I'm keeping a close eye on this, is that we have a whole line of people who are standing there going. I'm going to be the next HBCU president because I'm going to save HBCU. I'm going to say that is, that is, yes, yes. <laughs> we, we got some more Dion's out there. They yes. Just don't, they just don't have the cultural cachet that he has. That's right. And now, let me ask a question. Do you see that as just limited to HBCU culture, African-American culture, or do you see that as America's culture? Because, you know, 2016. It's America's culture. That's how Trump got in <laughs> office. Uh-huh. Right. Right. That's how right. Trump got in office. Trump had and a it's bunch the of same fixed, thing. He he played to a bunch of fixed mindset communities. Mm-hmm. People who mm-hmm. said, oh, no, I'm losing everything and I need somebody to save my community. So this guy looks like he's going to speak for me. And so it's not it's not it's, it's, it's really much. It's a much bigger issue. But the problem is, is like they always say, when America gets a cold, black America gets the flu. 
That's right. That's right. And in higher education, when <laughs> in higher education, when P- when PWIs get the get the get a cold, HBCUs get COVID. <laughs> it, it is That's so right. much worse on us. That's whenever right. There is an issue in higher education. And so we really do have to watch this narrative of so-and-so came to save us save. Mm-hmm. from our, especially when people say they came to save us from ourselves. There's something that Dion did that really offended me. The, uh, I think he was at the university for three months <laughs> and he thing. had said, he's, well, what, the first thing he did was he blamed someone for stealing jewelry. Oh. I knew then, I said, now this is a person who absolutely does not understand HBCU culture. And I might, I might make someone angry. I know we're not a monolith, but I would argue this is also a person who is not as in touch, maybe was, but has drifted away from black culture. Because anyone who is uh, who has their, their their feet on the ground in terms of uh, understanding sensitivity, the black culture understands that when you utter those words, you are perpetuating stereotypes that blacks steal. But that really bothered me that he so freely would say that. And then once he found out that his his uh, his possessions were just moved by someone. Uh, I, I don't know for him. I don't know why it was there, but was moved for him. He never retracted the statement. There are a lot of things that he's doing. You know, this this I save the university kind of mentality. This, you know, this, it goes and it plays into the stereotype that we need. Yeah, like you say, a savior, which is what allowed slavery to exist. And even after slavery, you know, the sharecropping system, because the black folk needed somebody to look after them, to watch over them, to help them with their affairs. Uh, right, I've been right. challenged seeing him and the president uh, really just reading, trying to read between the lines to see what that dynamic was like, because he was really coloring outside of the lines for a coach, not an AD, but a coach uh, making promises or I would call it big talk, making big talk or big promises about the school, the school's culture, not about the football program, but about the school's culture and the community yeah. Yeah. that I felt that if he had any type of uh, emotional intelligence or self-awareness he yep. would say you know this is this conversation this statement is better suited for the ad is better suited for the university's president uh in, in terms of the way we interact with the public at large but yeah narcissist i i would i would have to say that did we just diagnose no we did not we did not but this is <laughs> our did. argument we didn't die. Academically, you're an academic. So. It, 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 it is my belief. <laughs> it is my belief. It is my opinion. So which means I could be completely wrong. You could be completely wrong. We could I, be completely wrong. But I doubt it. Because he, he <laughs> well, because he displays the classic signs of narcissism. Mm-hmm. Number one, mm-hmm. um, he is very much it, it, it is self-interest all the That's way. Right. That's when right. When people say, well, he did so much for Jackson State, he he helped redesign the locker rooms. He helped upgrade this. Do you think he did that out of pure altruism? Absolutely. Or with his own funds. You know, he he, he attracted the funding from his friends, you know, and we appreciate that. That's awesome. That's awesome. You use your your, your relationships and you use your influence to make the places that you are, the spaces that you are better. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. we do appreciate that. Mm -hmm. But he was also a pro football player. And what do pros do when they're at the end of a contract? They start playing a lot better. That's right. That's right. Especially if they know they're on a trading block. They play better because they want they want to attract the best team. That's right. Yeah. Congratulations. He he was able to 
bring some funds together to make some upgrades and some improvements. But please, let's not act like he did. Let's not act like this was some act of philanthropy. Absolutely. It yeah. was not yeah. philanthropy. He was he was setting himself up to make his next move his best move. You're listening to For Our Edification, the podcast, and uh, this is Eddie Francis, and I'm talking to Eddie Brown. He is the CEO and principal of Eddie Brown PR, alum of Jackson State, former employee of Jackson State as well, man. And uh, and just my dude. Eddie's like my dude. Um, <laughs> my God. Yeah, we we I mean we talk PR all day long. Uh, as a matter of <laughs> fact, we did when we met. We pretty much That's talked right. all day long. So here's the thing that I thought was so funny, and I laughed out loud when Dion does this interview, and he says, um, and he says, "I gave y'all the blueprint, narcissism. <laughs> um, I gave y'all the blueprint. All you gotta do is buy, but." Let me give you a wild scenario. I mentioned a little earlier that one of the places I worked at one one time was Paul Quinn, who got rid of their football team, uh, which I thought was a great business choice uh, for the college. What if in some crazy world, football went away completely from colleges? Hmm. What if? What if? Now, D.I. gave us the blueprint. But what is the blueprint for HBCUs to be more effectively marketed as a whole, knowing, and you and I talked about this and you mentioned it, mm-hmm. knowing that the national media normally sees football and band. That's right. One day somebody comes along and with some kind of magic hand says, nah, you know, no more football in colleges. Now what? I would be concerned that we would lose that kinship, the, the kinship mm-hmm. uh, yeah, mm-hmm. experience that we have because uh, a lot of us are now uh, increasingly leaving uh, Christendom or mainline faiths, mm-hmm. and you know where you know some are, uh, a lot of blacks in America are becoming atheists or just non-Christian mm-hmm. faith, and so we're not having those church homecomings. You know, once a year going to the church in the country where we, you know, but we have football season, mm-hmm. and oftentimes if you go to an HBCU football game, there might be sixty thousand people in the stands. But outside the stadium, there's another 50,000 people out there who've never gone to a game, right? Mm-hmm. But because there are friendships, there are roommates, uh, people that you went to the calf with in the 70s. And, mm-hmm. you know, for me, my roommate mm-hmm. and I, we, we, we exchange Christmas cards. We see each other, you know, twice a year when we travel for business. Um, these are lifelong relationships. And these are professional relationships. Uh, these relationships Man, they, I mean, they, they post throughout every area of our life. And so I do wonder, uh, or I would be concerned if all of our institutions got rid of uh, football. But I do know that if we were in that scenario, we'd just find another place. I was going to say, we just, <laughs> y'all would just find another place to get it done. Find yeah, we'll find another place. place. <laughs> Eddie Brown is the CEO and principal of uh, Brown PR, a proud alum of Jackson State. No, he did not need Dion to make Jackson State stand out. Um, Eddie, thanks a lot for joining me on for our edification. Thanks for having me. I had a great time. Thanks. This whole conversation about Dion Sanders' time at Jackson State is all about context. 
And if you know anything about me, you know that one of the things I say a lot of times is that social media is where emotional intelligence goes to die. Well, a lot of times in order to understand context and respect context, you really have to have some emotional intelligence. You have to be intellectually curious. And it's interesting to me how a lot of people choose not to be intellectually curious about HBCUs. But there was one tweet in particular that I saw that I think kind of captured the angst that happens in HBCU culture when these kinds of debates come up. And it was by at King Gene underscore UFC. And he tweeted, again, is too many PWI alumni, non-college graduates, non-HBCU, anti-HBCU, tech school, non-SWAC, college dropouts, dropping their two cents on who is and ain't SWAC. You ain't SWAC. So respectfully, stand down on this topic. You don't have a clue, just hearsay. Okay, so, so with Tenor making that tweet, Here's my takeaway from what he tweeted. I don't think he's telling folks that you don't have a right to your opinion or that you can't make an opinion. What I saw in that comment is, is that if you're going to say something about HBCUs and the value or the perceived lack of value, have an informed opinion. And I would go so far as to say a well-informed opinion. You see, in order to do that, you have to understand that this is bigger than Deion Sanders when you're talking about HBCUs. A lot of folks from outside of HBCU culture, for whatever reason, seem to believe that Deion Sanders did some kind of education campaign or awareness campaign on what HBCUs are. It's like I said in the conversation with Eddie, this is about football, okay? Football in the context of HBCUs is very small, contrary to what some people may believe. So let me put it to you this way. If you are a black person who went to a predominantly white institution, did you at any time tolerate somebody limiting your identity and value to either creative talent like dancing or singing or painting? Or did you did you tolerate people limiting your identity and value to being able to play sports? Of course not. No, you didn't take that. You did not take that because you know that you are so much bigger than that. Even if it is what you do best, who you are is much bigger than that. So if you don't tolerate that, then why do you think it's okay to say that Deion Sanders and his whole two and a half years at Jackson State is somehow um, a commentary on the value or the perceived lack of value of HBCUs as a whole, even if you are talking about the SWAC. Listen, the very existence of HBCUs is just as complicated as the existence of black folks all over the world. So if you want to jump into the HBCU cipher, you can't come in judging folks. And you certainly can't be in your feelings. You got to come in open-minded and you got to come in understanding that there's a lot of stuff that you just don't know and you probably don't understand. You got to play your position. You have to play your position. That means listening carefully and intently to the folks who have been in the trenches with HBCUs, the students, the alumni, um, the employees, the supporters and you also have to be patient 
with the learning curve when it comes to understanding HBCUs. The history, the legacy, the nuanced conversation, the, the, the way policy has affected HBCUs. You have to understand all of that stuff. And that will give you a firm foundation to speak your mind. But most of all, it's going to give you a very clear understanding that when it comes to HBCUs, is it good to have a larger than life figure like a Deion Sanders? It could be very, very helpful. Yes, it can. There's a lot that can be leveraged with influence and that sort of thing. But one thing HBCUs don't need is a hero. HBCUs need supporters. Big thanks to my man Eddie Brown for joining me on for our edification. If you want to find out more about Eddie and the work that he does, go to brown-pr.com. That address is in the show notes. And check out for our edification at eddiefrancis.com slash for our edification. Of course, you can download the podcast. You can listen to it. You can rate it. You can give me some feedback, but by all means, Share it with your peoples, all right? For the great Dr. Halim Malik Francis, I'm Eddie Francis. Thank you so much again for joining us on For Our Edification.